How's everybody doing? <laughs> that was terrible. Come on. There's worse places you could be, right? Everybody doing okay, right? Okay, 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 good, 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 right? Okay, so last week uh, we had our baptism service, and it was interesting. Um, I think we baptized 60, 61, something like that last week, and yeah, which is great. Um, and then I think we're bab- we've already baptized six or eight more this weekend, so it just kind of trickled over into this weekend, which is really, really cool. So that's been good. Um, but here we are, back to what we do. Uh, we're in an extremely happy book of the Bible. We're in Ecclesiastes, and uh, we started it a couple of weeks ago. We did chapter one, and today we're going to do chapter two. Uh, all, j- all joking aside, this has been one of the neater books that I've got to study. I've, I think I've taught 18 or 20 books of the Bible, and... Um, this one is very, very unique. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, the guy that wrote this book of the Bible, he wrote three really, really important books of the Bible. He wrote Song of Solomon when he was a young man. He wrote the book of Proverbs when he was middle-aged, 39, 40 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, I just turned 40, so that's kind of a painful thing to say. And then um, his last book of the Bible that he contributed was Ecclesiastes. And he wrote it when he was an old man. When I say old man, uh, he was towards the end of his life. And um, Solomon, what was so interesting about kind of the arc of his life is started off really strong, started off extremely powerful and wise and influential. And we find out at the end of his life that he didn't use those things very well. And so Solomon didn't end his life uh, the way that we should. He didn't use all the things that God gave him the way that he should. And we learn in Ecclesiastes that he regretted those decisions and that he wishes that he would have done things differently. Now, what makes the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, so interesting is it's a book of the Bible that, that makes us ask the big questions. Is there something bigger than us? Is there meaning to this life? What is the meaning of life? Asking these kind of big, big questions that sometimes humanity asks. And so after we did chapter one, I think we came to the conclusion, and I think this is what Solomon was trying to push us into, as that a life without God is pointless. Without anything beyond us, this life truly is meaningless. There's no reason to live if there's nothing beyond this life. Now, if God is the thing that gives us meaning and purpose in life and makes this life worth living, chapter two is gonna beg the question, if God is the reason for living, do we have a relationship with God? Or again, we're gonna ask the, the big questions today and we're going to have to be honest with ourselves, okay? So if you have a Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible, you should have got a notes handout when you walked in at either side of the building. If you have the Experience Community app, everything is on the app, both the scripture and uh, the notes. Just click on service times and sermon notes, and everything should be there for you. And uh, we should be in pretty good shape, okay? So I'm going to pray. We're going to dive into chapter 2. And um, like always, uh, we're only going to get something out of this today, guys, if we can be honest with ourselves. We will only move forward if we want to move forward. So I just want to say that before we jump into this. The word is powerful uh, if we let it be powerful, okay? And it will change our lives if we let it change our lives. So that being said, let me pray. Let's dive into it. And... um, We'll see what happens, okay? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Father. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room this morning, God, that they would give up a, a block of time from their, their, their busy lives to come out and to, uh, to hear your word and to worship together. Father, we pray that you bless our church today, God. 
We pray, Lord, that you don't just bless our church, bless every church in our community, God, the churches we work with outside of our community up in New England, the churches that we work with all across the world, God, and we just pray that everything we do today, God, that it, that it blesses you, that it blesses us, and that it sharpens us, God, and brings us closer to you. Lord, we love you. Keep your hand on me as I teach today. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll break it down to the best of my abilities, okay? This is Solomon talking, okay? Here we go. He says, I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it's madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So Ecclesiastes is kind of an experiment, at least the first couple of chapters. And the experiment that Solomon is kind of conducting is he is trying to find what is the meaning of life? Where do we find purpose and contentment? Where does that come from? In chapter two, the part of the experiment that he's going to kind of focus on at the beginning is the pursuit of pleasure. Basically, what Solomon is going to do in his right mind is he is going to intentionally pursue getting drunk, having sex, living life in this kind of like sphere of pleasure being the ultimate goal of life. Now, we kind of do that in the United States. We're a society, a culture that works for the weekend, right? We kind of go through this grind Monday through Friday so we can get the money, so we can have the days off to go party and to go live it up. And so we have taught ourselves and we're teaching our children and our children's children that the whole point, the whole point of our lives is to have a good time. Nothing wrong with having a good time, but having a good time has no lasting value apart from something greater, apart from God. And so this idea that everything is good all the time and everything is laughter and, and just having fun, Solomon would say that that's actually nuts. That's just not real life, it's insane. He would say it's futile to think that things are good all the time and just run after having a good time. He would say it's madness and it doesn't even accomplish anything. Because a lot of us in this room know the pursuit of pleasure leads us to this like what's next syndrome. Well, I had sex with that girl, what, what's next, right? Well, I looked at porn, now I feel like crap. What's next to make me feel better? I, I did these drugs or I got drunk. Okay, what's next? We constantly have to have this thing to divert us and make us feel happy. Look at our culture, guys. We have been masters at creating a, a facade that everything is good all the time, right? We see people's profile pics on Facebook of them laughing like someone just caught them in mid-laughter, when in reality it took 30 minutes and 12 filters to get that selfie where it looks like you're laughing. And then we get on there and we talk about everything we've done. Well, who is this person? Oh, world changer, entrepreneur, and artist. They've never been further than Kentucky and like they've never painted anything and they really haven't accomplished anything in life. But we create this facade because if we're not having a good time, we must be losing. Every time I get on Facebook, I'm like, crap, everyone is at the beach except for me. I'm the only one not there. I'm the only one not having a good time right now. And it's fake. It's just not real. 
but we have created this thing that pursue pleasure. It's all about fun, and if you're not having fun right this second, something must be wrong for you and you need medication for it, right? So what he was doing, what Solomon was doing, was a calculative approach to sin, to hedonism. Solomon was in his right mind and he said, well, I'm gonna try getting drunk. Maybe that will make me happy. So not only was he seeking pleasure for just no reason, he was saying, well, maybe this will legitimately make me happy. Do you know what he was doing? Solomon was testing the philosophy of carpe diem, right? If you've ever heard that before, some of you have like a piece of distressed wood above your coffee maker that says it. Carpe diem, live for... (laughs) We're gonna make it, guys, we're gonna make it. Live for today with no thought of tomorrow. It sounds like a really fantastic philosophy, doesn't it? Carpe diem, just live for today. All of that sounds awesome until tomorrow comes. It sounds great to stay up until three o'clock in the morning and party and get wasted and pass out on your friend's couch and then you realize I have to be at work at seven. Or you have sex with all these people and you wake up and you realize, I have a sexually transmitted disease. I got that girl pregnant. Now I have to deal with these things. So listen, you should live every single day to the fullest. In fact, the Bible says you're not promised tomorrow, so you need to live today like it's all you have, right? I get that. But the wise person lives today to its fullest while still preparing for tomorrow, because more than likely, tomorrow will come. So we have to prepare for that. Let me also tell you this as a guy who's made a lot of mistakes in his life. There is always a cost for sin. Always. Well, Corey, God forgives. Absolutely. He will forgive you for sleeping with that woman. But if she's pregnant, she's still going to be pregnant. God will forgive you. God will forgive you if you knock over a bank and rob a bank. But you're still going to have to pay the price and go to jail. God will forgive you for looking at porn at two o'clock in the morning. But when you shut that laptop, there's going to be a feeling of remorse, a feeling of insecurity, a feeling of guilt. God will forgive you. And eventually those things will subside. But there's a cost. There's a payment for that. That whole live for today thing sounds awesome until we have to pay the price tomorrow, okay? All right, started off a little strong there, sorry. I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks. I planted every kind of fruit in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had livestock, herds, flocks, more than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers, many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great great and surpassed all those who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun." So Solomon was a king for 40 years, roughly from the time he was 20 till about 60. When he was the king of Israel, it was called the golden era. It was the richest that these people had ever been. He had vineyards, 
He had homes. He had man-made lakes. He had slaves. He had herds and flocks. He had gold and silver. He had as many women as he could sleep with. And this was not him boasting. He wasn't making a list so he could be, whoa, Solomon. He was saying, I had all of these things and I was empty. It didn't fulfill me because gaining the entire world and not having God still leaves us empty. It does not fulfill us. It's futile is what he's saying. Now, here's the reason why we read the Bible in context. If we don't read the Bible in context, we can take it out of context. So if you were to take this chapter and just pull verse 10 out, you could twist this to say that money does buy you happiness. But knowing the context, he says at the end of that part that it doesn't buy you happiness ultimately. But we have to be honest with ourselves. Money does buy us happiness for a little while as long as the money or the experience that the money buys lasts. Let me, give you, let me give you some examples. When I take my wife out for like a nice dinner, her birthday was a couple of weeks ago and we went to Franklin and we ate like, we paid way too much money for fish that wasn't cooked. We ate some sushi. Then we went and ate that and it was expensive, but we enjoyed it. It was wonderful. Money bought us for a moment happiness. When I take my family on vacation, that makes me very, very happy. It costs money to do that. So we're lying to ourselves when we say, well, money doesn't buy happiness. Well, it does for a temporary amount of time. But what happens is, is when that diversion goes away, we have to divert ourselves with something else. So ultimately it doesn't work. But that's the kind of people we are, folks. We live from diversion to diversion to diversion because what we don't wanna do is we don't wanna deal with the real problem. So we move to another town thinking that'll fix us. Problem is we're still there, right? We buy a bunch of clothes when we're feeling depressed. We uh, get a new $1,200 iPhone or a 2000, however much phones are now, right? We buy a new car, or we go to the movies, or we watch eight hours of Netflix, or we get drunk, or we have sex, or we look at porn, or we eat too much junk food, or whatever the diversion is. And the reason why we do those things is we don't want to deal with the fact that we really are broken. We have insecurities, and we have issues that we need to be dealt, that we need to deal with and let God deal with in our lives. But we move from distraction to distraction to distraction to distraction because we don't wanna get the core. That's why we take those pictures and try to trick everyone in the room that we are happy all the time because if they think we're happy, they're not gonna know how broken we truly are. Distraction, distraction, distraction. And wealth can be a big distraction. In fact, it can be a very deadly trap. Now, we need to be honest and we need to, we need to, we need to say this. There's nothing wrong with money. If you have a rich friend, there's nothing wrong with him being rich. There's something wrong with you wanting their wealth. It's called coveting them and that's a sin. It's a 10 commandment but there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But here's the, the danger and the trap of wealth if we're not careful. What money does is it gives us the opportunity to be more of what we already are deep inside of our hearts. So if you give a million dollars to someone who's deceptive and greedy and sinful, they're gonna do deceptive, greedy, sinful things with their money. If you give a million dollars to someone who's benevolent and has a strong relationship with Christ, they're gonna do benevolent, kind things with their money, it gives them the means to act out their passion and desires. But if we have accomplished much, if we've gained much, and we're not dependent on God though, what's gonna happen is, is we're gonna become prideful. And we're gonna think that the money is what saves us. And we're gonna think that our hard work and accomplishment saves us. That's what led Jesus to say this. Jesus at times was very sarcastic. Thank God, right? Gives us some peace gives me some peace. 
that sometimes Jesus was sarcastic. And this is a sarcastic statement. Listen, I've heard people say, well, there was really this place called the eye of a needle and camels had to, that never existed. If you research that, that does not exist. Jesus was being sarcastic. And he looked at his followers and said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a little bitty needle than it is for a rich person to go to heaven. Now, he doesn't mean that rich people aren't, aren't, can't be good people. Jesus hung out with some rich people. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus the Pharisee, very rich, very influential and affluential people. What he was saying, though, is that when we have wealth, it's very, very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to take your eyes off of God. Solomon did that. And he says, when I looked at all the stuff that I had accomplished, all the stuff I had gathered up, he says, it was futile. It was just a pursuit of the wind. You know the thing with most of us in the United States, uh, us in this room, we don't have a need for more stuff. You have clean drinking water, you have food to eat, you have shelter over your head, you have everything you need. And so it's not that a lot of us in this room, or I would say very little of us, if any of us, have any needs. The problem in our culture is, is that we want. We want more and more and more, and we have confused wants with needs. Let me give you an example. All the time, Travis that works here at the church, he does all of our benevolence requests. I bet five, six people a day come into our building and say, hey, we need you, we need, we need you to pay our electricity bill, or we need you to pay our water bill. Listen, the church, we are more than happy. We set aside almost a million dollars a year to help people with their needs. But one of the things we do is we sit them down and we look at a budget. And when we write out their budget and they have $200 that goes to cable, when they're wearing a new Bluetooth thing around their neck, when they have a 2019 car out in the parking lot and no one on staff drives one of those, it's not an issue of us meeting your needs. You want us to actually meet your wants. You don't wanna spend your money on the things you need. You want the church to pick that, that tab up and you wanna spend the money on the things you want. And let me tell you, you may, say, you may think it's harsh and mean. The church's res responsibility is not to make sure that you can have cable television. That's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility that you can drive a $40,000 car. I don't know what that feels like, never will. Our responsibility is to help make sure that you have the basic necessities of life. And the Bible tells us though, that there's nothing wrong with having the temporal things of the world. There's nothing wrong with having cable television or a nice home or a nice car. We can use those things in this life, that's fine. But we're not to ultimately desire those things because we as people are not designed to desire temporary things, we're designed to desire the eternal things, and that is God. That's how we're created, to ultimately want what is eternal, and God is eternal. That's what we should desire. So there's a guy named Arnold Toynbee. I'm, I'm pretty confident that no one knows who that is, right? I didn't until last week. Arnold Toynbee was a British historian in the early 20th century, a brilliant man. And he said, the problem with the Western world is this, the reason why we're so materialistic, the reason why we're so broken, is that ever since mankind began, there's been about 21 civilizations that have come and gone. The first civilization of people that ever thought it was okay to not believe there was a higher power is the Western world, us. We are the first group of people that tell our civilization or tell our citizens that it is okay to not believe in a God. What happens when we believe that there's nothing bigger than us is we are the ultimate say-so of what is right and what is wrong. 
that's called a pluralistic society. The last great civilization that was pluralistic was the Roman Empire, and it fell because pluralism does not work. To think that we ultimately set the bar of what is good and what is evil, it does not work because all of us in this room have a different idea of what that would be apart from God, okay? Next part. Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. And why have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, this is futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. So Solomon acknowledges, he says, being smart in this life is better than being an idiot, right? Making wise decisions is better than making foolish decisions. He goes even further and says, it makes a lot more sense to be wise than to pit yourself against God. That's madness. But then he also says, being ethical, being intelligent, being wise, being hardworking, all those things will not shield us from what will inevitably happen to everyone in this room. We will die. All of us will die. So Solomon asks a really good question. If the idiot dies and the wise person dies, why not just be an idiot, right? If the person that parties and smokes like crazy and drinks like crazy and has sex with you know, anything with legs and just all that stuff, right? When they just leave hedonistic lives and they can die at any moment just like I can die at any moment, why not just live it up? Why follow rules? Why not do the whole carpe diem thing? Here's why. Because then we have to ask the question, once this life does end, what's next? And the conclusion of that question of what is after this life will dictate this life. So if we don't think there's a God, you might as well live it up. But if we do think there's a God, there's a certain standard by which that God wants us to live. It asks the bigger question. But again, if you don't believe in a God, no wonder Solomon was hating life. All the work I'm doing, all the wise decisions I'm making, it's just going to come to an end. It's pointless. And if life is pointless, man, I understand why people hate life. But all the bleakness of what Solomon is talking about, this I hate life, there's no meaning, all of this is going to lead us to his answer. And that is going to be what is missing, right? He's gonna tell us what is missing in this component and all of Ecclesiastes is about to be flipped upside down, all right? Last part. Solomon says, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one that comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun and this too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, 
and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. Hey, let me read that to you one more time because it's so easy to miss what the Bible says right here. I'm gonna read it one more time, okay? When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This is futile. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and enjoy life apart from him, God? For to this person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile, and it is a pursuit of the wind. So imagine, you amass a fortune, you buy land, you start a corporation that becomes an empire, and you hand it all over to someone who didn't work for it and they just blow it, right? Imagine if you start a chain of hotels that are global and your blonde-headed daughter just goes and parties and blows all your money, right? They make a TV show out of it. Anyways, (laughs) haven't we seen this in our culture? Haven't we seen, even not even on, on millions of dollars, but you probably know someone that inherited 10 grand or 20 grand or 50 grand just to see them blow it and waste it. They didn't put it in a Roth IRA. They didn't put it back for their kid's college fund. They didn't put it down onto their mortgage for their house. They blew it on crap, right? And so Solomon sees that. Man, you work so hard, and you just give it to someone that doesn't care, and they waste it. This caused him to to slip into depression. He said, I started to give myself to despair because I did all this work. I labored under the sun, and then it just gets wasted, Do you know what we learned from this? Verse 20 through 23 shows us that mankind can produce nothing that will last forever. Nothing. The Bible even says all the old things will pass away. Everything. The heavens, the earth, everything. God will get rid of those who will create a new one. Mankind can produce nothing that will last forever. Even the best things that we produce, even the good things we produce, will fade away and ultimately they're a pursuit of the wind. So, Now, though, we finally see some light in the tunnel. We start to see that now the script is starting to flip. In verse 24 and 25, Solomon acknowledges that every good thing, it does come from God. All the good things that we have are because God allows us to have those things. Now, here's the thing. God does not delight in our bad times. God doesn't look down when you're struggling to pay your bills and he's like, angels, get a, get a look at this. Corey can't pay his bills. Like they, they, God doesn't delight in the fact that we lose loved ones or lose jobs or that we go through tough times. That doesn't make God happy. But hear me out. Sometimes God has to allow bad things to happen and sometimes God even has to orchestrate bad things in your life in order to get our attention and focus us back on him. Sometimes we have to hit some speed bumps to realize that we're moving too fast, right? Sometimes God has to jar us a little bit so we're like, oh, God, I do need to be humbled, right? It all comes from you. And he does that because he loves us. So not every bad thing is from the devil necessarily. 
Not every bad thing is there because God doesn't love you. Sometimes God shakes us up a little bit because we need to get our sights back on him. We must also prepare ourselves. Listen, we often say in Christianity, man, you gotta have a relationship with God because the storms are coming. The storms are coming. Now, there will be storms that come, but you know what? There's some of us in this room that we can't handle the blessings. If we don't have a deep relationship with God, if you were to give a million dollars to some people in this room, man, we would kill ourselves. We would do terrible things with it because it's not just the bad parts of life that we need to be prepared for. We need to be prepared for the good parts of life because if we have prosperity in our life but we don't have God, it's gonna draw us away from any kind of goodness. It's gonna draw us away from focusing on him. If we go through bad times and we don't have a relationship with God, we're gonna find comfort and help in all the wrong places. We're gonna to run to food and drugs and alcohol and sex and porn and we're gonna become workaholics or whatever fulfills us for a moment. So what do we do? If we're to be content, if we're gonna be solid and stable, we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ before the bad times, and we have to have a relationship with him before the good times, because both of them can take our focus off of him. The problem with Christianity right now is, is we have just a veneer of Christianity. We have the bumper sticker, the tattoo. I got the little ichthus on the back of my car. Not me, but you know, other people. And we think that that's Christianity. We think that going to church is Christianity. That's what we think. It's a part of it, but it's not the whole of it. So our relationship with God is a veneer. It's very, very shallow. And what we find out is when the tides of life knock us around a little bit, whether it be good or bad, we get completely knocked off course. Our beliefs change, our purpose change, our focuses change because we're not deeply rooted in who Jesus Christ is. So it basically boils down to do we know God? Solomon says the people that know God get wisdom, knowledge, and joy but we have to have a personal relationship with him. If we don't, if we don't, we're gonna live a life that is constantly trying to gather and accumulate. Isn't that what we do? Not just money. We're trying to accumulate more likes on Facebook, more hearts on Instagram. We're trying to accumulate all these things to make ourselves feel better. That's why we take the selfie and try to, you know, try to tell people that we're constantly smiling and so people can tell us how beautiful and wonderful we are and we, we feel better about ourselves. We're just trying to accumulate. Do you know what's fascinating about the Christian life versus the non-Christian life though? Solomon says that people around us are constantly trying to gather and accumulate and all the things they're trying to gather, we're going to inherit in eternity. All these people who are trying to constantly gather wealth, we're gonna walk on streets of gold forever. All these people who are trying to accumulate attention, we're going to get undivided attention from the creator God. The greatest need of everyone in this room is to be known. Whether you admit it or not, we want to be known. We want to be recognized. And we're constantly trying to get it from people around us. And God is up in heaven saying, I know you, do you know me? He wants to be with us, he wants to have a deep relationship with us. So all the things that people are trying to gather in this life we have waiting for us in perfection in eternity. So here, here's where we mess up though as Christians. And it really does fall flat. Whenever your friends come up to you and life is falling apart, we have a tendency to throw around cliches, right? 
we go to Hobby Lobby and we buy the big piece of, you know, distressed wood, God is good, or, you know, it has some kind of cliche on it. I'm not trying to make fun of you for that. But we've become a culture to where we just have like these snappy comebacks, you know? Hey, life's bad. Well, I'm too blessed to be stressed, right? Jesus Christ was so stressed out, he was sweating blood before he got crucified, but I guess he wasn't blessed. So we have all these sayings, and they fall flat. So whenever someone comes up to you and says, why is there human suffering? God's good, brother. That didn't answer my question. Why do I keep struggling with sin? Well, just love Jesus. I do love Jesus, but I still struggle. That doesn't answer my question. Do you know why? It's because we have to go beyond the cliches. Not just saying that we follow Jesus or getting the tattoo or the bumper sticker. We actually have to have a relationship with God. We have to be planted firmly in the soil. Our roots have to go down deep. That regardless of the good or the bad, that we still stand strong. Is God good? Of course he's good. Do we need to love Jesus? Of course we do. Does he love us? Of course he does. But it's not a catchphrase on a banner at Chick-fil-A. It's a deep relationship with God. It's something deeper than that. That come all hell in my life, I still understand deep in my core. Yes, God is good. Yes, God loves me. I know these things but it has to be a relationship with him. So here's the thing, guys. If you've lived for any length of time in this life, <laughs> it's not a matter of if life is going to happen to you. It's just a question of when. Both the good and the bad. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Crap happens to the good and it happens to the bad. It's not a matter of if things are going to happen to you. It's a matter of when. And when the good things happen, if we don't have God, we become selfish. We become prideful. It becomes all about us. We become foolish. In the bad times, if we don't have God, we run to evil means of help. It's when we become addicted. It's when we cheat on our spouse. That's when we lie on our bank statements. It's when we do bad things. So before either one of those happen, before life happens to us, good or bad, we better know where we stand. We better know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is good. We better know beyond the shadow of the doubt that God loves us and wants the best for us. We better know our theology. We better know what we believe. We better know our purpose and we better know our identity. We must have a deep root. So I think it's safe to say today that maybe the thesis of today's conversation is it all hinges on a relationship with God. To make it through this life and into the next, it all hinges on a relationship with God. So if it all hinges on that, we have to ask ourselves, do we have a relationship with God? Well, of course I do, Corey. I'm in church right now. Well, of course I do, Corey. I have a sticker that says it. I'm a Republican. <laughs> Here's what a healthy relationship looks like. The first thing a healthy relationship has to have is communication. If you tell me you follow Jesus Christ but you don't pray, you're not a Christian. I hate to be honest with you guys. If you don't talk to God, you don't have a relationship with God. Well, Corey, I'm married to that woman over there, but we have never spoken. 
You can wear the ring all day, but you're not in a marriage. That's not a marriage. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Never talked to him, but I'm a follower. How do you, how do you know where to go? <laughs> how do you know what to do? You're not following him. We have to pray. To be in a relationship with God means we need to be committed. It means we need to read the Bible. It needs to be a part of your life. I say it virtually every weekend. The Bible needs to be a part of your life. We also need to go to church. Well, Corey, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You haven't read your Bible. In Hebrews, it says you need to be going to church more and more as the time gets closer to Jesus coming back. We need the church. We need a relationship with God, and we need a relationship with each other. A healthy relationship with God has compromise, not on his part. He's perfect. Not a compromise of our faith. We don't compromise our faith. What I mean by compromise is we need to be humble enough to when we're reading the word of God and we come across something that says that we're not living the way we're supposed to be living, we need to compromise and say, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I want to do, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to submit myself to what your word says. That's compromise. A healthy relationship with God has respect and honor. Listen, guys, Jesus is not the herbal tea-drinking hippie that North America has made him out to be. He doesn't just turn a blind eye every time you do something wrong. I don't see you over there. I love you, so I'm not gonna look at your sin. That's not biblical. Do you know who Jesus is? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and he needs, doesn't need, sorry, wrong choice of words, he garners respect because he's the creator God. If you get into Revelation chapter four, that's the God you serve. It's the God that is so holy and so perfect that the angels circle around him and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. That every time Jesus moves on the throne, that the elders hit their face in awe and reverence for the creator God. How dare we as arrogant Christians in the United States Man, Jesus is just my, my boy. He's my homeboy. He's my poppy, poppy daddy, all this freaking crap we call him, right? <laughs> Jesus, we're just, we're just like, Jesus is the king of kings. He spoke the universe into existence and he's gonna speak it out of existence and create an, a whole nother one for you and I to live in for eternity. Listen, he is your heavenly father. He does stick closer to, you to the, closer to you than a brother does. But you know what? There are times we need to approach God with reverence and awe. There's a reason why no human has ever seen God because we can't handle him. He is to be respected. He is to be honored like a king should be. The last thing about a healthy relationship with God, by the way, guys, you know Solomon, the same one that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, said the beginning of all wisdom starts with a fear of God. That's what he says. It says in the book of Proverbs. Well, that's an Old Testament thing. Jesus said, don't fear, the one that can, don't fear the one that can kill your body, but fear the one that can cast your soul into hell. He was talking about himself, right? It's a New Testament thing too. The last thing is we have to trust God. If we're gonna have a healthy relationship with him, we have to trust him. Well, Corey, what if Trump's reelected? What if a Democrat gets in? What if the economy tanks? What if China goes to war with us? What if I lose my job? What if this doesn't happen? You know what, guys? If all those things happen or none of those things happen, I know Jesus Christ is still on the throne. I know how this book ends. I know what the eternity of the Christian is going to look like. 
regardless of what happens on this earth, I know exactly what God is going to do. God loves us, we need to trust him, and we need to believe that everything's gonna be okay. So here's the thing. If we don't extend our root deep into a relationship with God right now, life is going to happen to us and we are not gonna be able to withstand it. All that being said, we need God. You need God today. You need God tomorrow. Oh crap, tomorrow's Monday. Yes, I do need God tomorrow. <laughs> you need God every single day. Because guys, and I'm not trying to sound like a downer, I don't see society turning around. I don't think the Bible teaches that society's gonna turn around. It's gonna get harder, it's gonna become crazier and nuttier and at the, at the rapid pace that things are escalating, it's getting crazier and crazier and crazier. You need God on Monday. You need God on Tuesday. Every day when we wake up, Lord, be with me today. Be with my children, be with my wife. We need you today, we are desperate for you. Paul said, I die every single day, which literally meant, God, today I could go out and get killed. I need you today. I need you today to protect me, to be with me. Because Paul knew every time he walked out the door, his life could be over. He needed God every single day. And not only do we need God today, not only does your marriage need him today, not only do your kids need him today, not only do our schools need him today, not only does our government and our economics and everything you do need him today. Guys, there will be a life beyond this one. And the Bible talks about lakes of fire and Jesus even associated hell with a place called Gehenna, which was this dumping ground outside of Jerusalem where there was constant fire and gnashing of teeth. Now listen, I don't know if hell is going to literally be fire. I don't know if it's gonna literally be fire or if that's a metaphor, I don't really care. What I do know about hell is it is going to be an eternity of complete absence of God. Whether it's a literal hell or not, we cannot fathom how bad an existence without anything of God in it. We can't fathom that. Everything good comes from God. So everything humanity experiences that is good was given to us by God. Imagine people without any trace of what is good. Imagine an eternity with no hope, an eternity with no chance of things getting better, a complete void of God. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I believe that book, though, with all my heart, and it tells me clear as crystal that one day Christ is going to come back, and we're going to have to give an account. And it says in the Gospels that Jesus is going to look at some of us and say, I don't know you because we never built a relationship with him. What's gonna save your soul? A relationship with God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You know, guys, we're not expected to be perfect. God does not expect us to be perfect. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone else in this room besides me right now. So your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. God does not expect perfection. 
We're not gonna be perfect. What God expects out of us is dependency on him. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna make bad choices at times. Now, I think with a relationship with God, we can make less and less of those. I believe God is quick to forgive. He's gracious, he's merciful. But it's not that we're trying to achieve perfection. But what God wants out of us is just dependency. Call on him when you need help. When you've made a mistake, ask him to forgive you and say, God, help me not to make this mistake more. It takes humility, guys. If we're just being honest since the 11 o'clock service, the hardest thing about pastoring 4,000 people is I will stand in front of 4,000 people and say, please pray. Please read the word of God. Please don't fake it till you make it because you're not gonna make it if you fake it. So just be honest. If you're sad, tell people you're sad. If you're genuinely laughing, genuinely laugh. But just be real. Depend on God. Love your neighbor. I can say these things and what makes it so hard is I don't know if a lot of you believe that what I'm saying works. I think, I think a lot of us are still persuaded that the ways of the world will give us what we want. So we keep up the facade. We keep thinking that all this garbage is gonna one day make us feel complete. And it's like chasing the wind. We never catch it. If you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know God, maybe you're tired, you're just done. Up here to my right, your left, Greg, he's one of our pastors. He would love to talk with you. If you're just curious, maybe you're not completely sold on this yet, but you're like, man, I've tried everything else. If you want to come up here and talk to Greg, he'd love to talk with you. We're not going to be judgmental. We're not going to make you feel bad. We just want to talk to you. If you need prayer for anything in this room, we've got men and women on both sides of the stage. They'd love to pray with you. Anything you may need. We're to pray with each other. We're to lift each other up. They'd love to do that for you. The last thing is this, guys. I want to ask a big favor out of you. There's communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. It's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It represents the fact that Jesus came, he died, he loves us, he was resurrected from the grave, he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us. He just wants us to call on him and remember him. If you have asked God to forgive you of your sins and you take that communion today, I want you to really ask yourself, and listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you gotta be honest. I showed you what a healthy relationship entails. I want you to be honest. Do I have a relationship with God? When I stand in front of my maker one day, is Jesus going to say, man, I know you. We had a relationship. We talked. We hung out. You trusted me. I know you. Come on in. Or are we going to stand in front of Christ and he's going to say, you know, you said all these things in my name. You had the bumper sticker. You had the shirt. But we didn't have a relationship. I don't know you. Do you know the scariest part about that verse is then Jesus says, now depart from me. Those are words you never want to hear.
Do we have a relationship with God? Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you, God. I love this church. Lord, I love this church. God, please humble us today. Please let us be honest today. Please let us ask ourselves the big questions. God, are we being genuine? Are we sincere? Do we have a relationship with you, God? And if we don't, Father, remind us that at any time we can come back to you. If we will just be humble. Lord, we love you. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room. Keep your hand on us, God. Grow us. Keep us close to you. We need you so desperately, Lord. I pray blessings over everyone in this room, God, and I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.